I'm going to start off with a couple of jokes for you. I will drink you under the table. That's what I whisper, whisper to my coffee when I hide from morning people. <laughs> Jesus walked on water. I can walk on cucumbers, which are 96% water. Therefore, I am 96% like Jesus. <laughs> Is that true? Oh, no, 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 not true at all. If you see me talking to myself, just please go away. <laughs> That's the end of the <laughs> And next. I'm self-employed and having a staff meeting. <laughs> I think you could just stop with just please go away. <laughs> if, if you see me talking to myself, don't tap me on the shoulder. <laughs> I gotta I wanna talk to you. Alright. Very good. Well, today I want to talk to you guys about the illusion of religion. As we're talking about restoration, we're talking about this year and how God is restoring his people to himself, a desire for God. Have you guys ever uh, bought a house or rented a house that had the illusion and the appearance of a really nice house until you move into it, right? So everything looked great, and then you move into it, and you go to put a a hole in the wall and you're trying to find a stud, you know, to hang a picture or something like that. And you figure out like, oh, whoever built this wall didn't put any studs behind the wall whatsoever. Or you go to use the shower and it works fine for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden you got to replace the shower because it's dripping. The faucets are dripping. The illusion of something really nice. Uh, somebody maybe had flipped the house and they went the complete cheapest route possible. And then you're the one renting it and you realize like, I was, I was under the illusion that it was really nice. Well, when God restores us, he doesn't restore us to an illusion of being really nice. He doesn't restore us with the, with the, the concept of like, okay, well, let's just throw some paint on the walls and some caulk and like call it a day. Look, what God does when he restores us, and he takes us back to our original design. And sometimes that takes a lot of time. How many of you are under the, that experience that... Man, when the Lord wants to restore us, when he wants to refill us, when he wants to bring us back to how he created us, it takes a little bit of time. It's not the quickest, fastest route, is it? God restores us, and it takes time, but he's under, the, uh, he's under his own timeline. The Lord has his own timeline for our life. He's not in a hurry to get us back and get us back to um, what we were supposed to be. Like He wants to work. He wants to do the deep work inside of us. And so what we see in the book of Jeremiah, as we've been reading the book, is Jeremiah is talking to the church, and he's talking to the Israelites who had completely walked away from God. We're going to be looking at Jeremiah 7, and so if you have your Bibles, if you don't, uh, it's going to be up here on the screen. But they were under the illusion of religion, that maybe what God wants from me is to do a lot of good things and go to church, go to the temple and worship, like that's all that God wants from my life. But you're going to see in this book that God wants so much more than that. He wants more than religion. He wants the relationship, right? God wants a relationship with us because that's what he designed us for. Our original design was a relationship with the Lord. And so we see that in the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 7, 1 through 2, and I'm going to kind of break, break each one of these verses down. 
and um, just jumping right in. So I'll just go ahead and pray. Holy Spirit, would you just come and just fill this place, Lord? We thank you for your presence that's already here right now. You're so good. You're so faithful. Come, Lord. Get beyond the surface. Get beyond um, what we've uh, put you in a box in any of our lives, Lord. Would you just do the deep work in our hearts this morning? Lord, I pray for a radical transformation from when we walked in the door to when we go out. We know that you are never done with us, that you're always at work. And so, Lord, we just open up our hearts. Whatever your word has to say this morning, would it just speak directly to our hearts? Yeah. Get beyond any hardness, anything that would want to distract us from what it is that you want us to hear. And Lord, I just, I just put my words and my heart into your hands this morning. Would you just have control over the service, uh, the words that come out of my mouth, Lord? Would you, would you speak directly through me to your church? Hmm. Amen. How amazing would that be if God spoke directly through me to you? That's what we, that's, you know, that's what we came for. You guys don't care what I have to say. Trust me. You don't care what I have to say. So, isn't that so cool that the Lord can just speak to each one of us? He knows exactly what it is that we want to hear. <laughs> I take that back. Exactly what it is that we need to hear. Right? So let's, uh, let's just read. Jeremiah 7, 1. It says this. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the Lord's house and then proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship God. So I just want to back up, like as we're looking at Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest he had the amazing job of being a priest, and that was a pretty comfortable job. And then God called him to be a prophet. So God called Jeremiah from comfort to something that's really challenging, which is go and stand at the house of the Lord outside it, and then proclaim this to everyone that walks in the door. Okay? Pretty tough stuff. It'd be amazing to have somebody standing outside saying like, welcome to City Church. But Jeremiah's message is very different. You're going to hear what, what God had called him to say. We're going to pick up in three, verse three. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. <laughs> Maybe you just say, like, I will let you live. If you would reform your ways and your actions, I will let you live in this place. This message is for everyone. Everyone that's heading to the temple to go and worship God. They had this idea that, like, going to the temple was what God had invited them to do. And so they were all heading to the temple. You got Jeremiah with a bullhorn. Okay? You get in the picture? Jeremiah with a bullhorn saying, reform your ways and God will let you live in this place. Change your ways and God will let you live. Come back to the Lord and he'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. 
If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner and the fatherless and the widow and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in this land that I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Man, I just got to say, I'm so glad God didn't call me to, the, the, um, to what he called Jeremiah to. Very excited about that. That'd be really tough. Because these are some really strong words to say to people going into to church, going into the temple. Clean up your act. Stop saying this is God's house, God's house. It's not God's house. You've turned it into something else. God had given the Israelites everything they could have ever needed and wanted. He has taken care of all of their needs. He rescued them. He loved them. He protected them. So Jeremiah's message comes so strongly to God's people because they took everything that God had given them for granted, started looking to other things in life. Well, yeah, we have the Lord, but we could also like, have this on the side. We could have these, these idols on the side. They started worshiping Baal, which Baal was actually the god of thunder and, and weather. And so like when, when things didn't, you know, when it doesn't rain, when you pray to God, you start to try to find some other gods. And so they were looking for something else to satisfy their needs. So Jeremiah's message is turned back. Turn back to God. They were under the illusion of the temple security. And God wasn't interested with coming to a temple to worship him. He was, he's not interested in fake worship. He's interested with the hearts. Over the next three chapters, you see in the book of Jeremiah that he weeps. How many of you know Jeremiah is called the, the what? The weeping prophet, right? The weeping prophet. This book is most recognized as Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. It's like kind of the tagline, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. In chapter eight, uh, 18, he says, Jeremiah says this, I'm drowned in grief. I'm heart sick. Oh, listen, please listen. I weep, seized with grief. I am heartbroken. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah's giving God's word, and people are just passing them up on their way to the temple. And they go in the temple, they do their thing, and then they come out and they start worshiping Baal and start burning incense to other gods and things that they created with their hands. They walk past them as they go to the temple, and then they walk out. And Jeremiah's like saying, no, turn to the Lord. And they're like, no, the Bears game's on, Jeremiah. <laughs> we got to go. I got a ham in the oven. This is Jeremiah's heart for people was grief. When I always heard that Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, I kind of thought of it as somewhat of a joke, you know? Like maybe he couldn't control his emotions. Maybe he's just a really emotional guy. I get that. I mean, I tear up every time I watch the last episode of The Office. I do. 
What's Pam and Jim going to do? You know? And when I watch E.T., guys remember E.T. when he's going off on the spaceship? So I just thought of Jeremiah as like, you know, this really emotional person. He can't control his emotions. So it's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He's always crying about things, you know, just a really emotional guy. I get that. I'm, I'm with you, Jeremiah. But I want you to see Jeremiah's heart in this. Because God loves his people and he wants what's best for his people. He wants to just be their God. And instead of turning to God, they're under the illusion that their religious acts of worship are going to save them. That they can go and live this type of lifestyle and worship these other gods and then come and do the religious act and then like go back out and do these other things. And Jeremiah's heart starts to break. His people are just passing him up and he's saying, return to the Lord. And like people are just walking past him. And so his heart becomes heartbroken Grief comes at a loss and comes with no change when we lose someone and it's just, it's lost, it's gone. Heartbreak comes with loss also. Most time, heartbreak is in a relationship. It was something that maybe we thought, oh, this was moving in this direction, and then come to find out it doesn't move in that direction at all, and our heart breaks. We've all walked through heartbreak, right? You guys remember kindergarten, your first boyfriend and girlfriend? (laughs) Remember when you forgot your crayons at home? (laughs) I always tell the joke, I I failed kindergarten twice because I kept forgetting my crayons. Truth be told, I just kept failing kindergarten. No, I I didn't. I didn't fail kindergarten. Other greats. <laughs> loss plus loss equals weeping. Loss plus loss equals weeping. Loss plus return equals joy. Jeremiah's heart was he was going to say these words that God had called him out of his comfort to go and proclaim to people and their heart would change and it would be a joyful experience of being a prophet. Instead, he goes and proclaims these words. There's zero change. He does this for 42 to 45 years of proclaiming God's word and there's zero change in people's hearts because loss plus loss equals weeping. So that's why we have Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Because they didn't change at all. Their hearts remained solid and hard. They never turned back to God. And so he's proclaiming all these words that God wants to be your God. He wants to have every part of your life. He's not interested in fake worship. What he wants is your heart. What he's interested in is inside. Not with the outside. Man looks on the outside, but God looks on the heart. And he thought that was going to happen. And so now we find Jeremiah, he's just this guy that weeps all the time. He cries. My question is this today. I have a question for you. When's the last time you wept when someone walked away from the Lord? 
When's the last time your heart just broke? Because you, they, you know that they chose something different than what God had for their life. Another question. When's the last time you've wept for our nation? When's the last time the church just cried for our nation? I know we've shared our views. We've shared our opinions. When's the last time we just cried? Just said, we're lost, God. We need you back. Would you take the throne again, Lord, please? For the love of God, would you come and rest on the throne again? One nation under God. This is where we find Jeremiah's heart. And I think a lot of us can relate with that a little bit right now. Is loss plus loss equals weeping. Just so far from God, we watch people just walk away from the Lord. It's like our heart just breaks. Jeremiah's message was a message for them to return and repent. Repent. Meaning, the, the meaning for repent is to feel or express a sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing. Wow, I walked away from God, but Jeremiah just said, if I return to the Lord, that I could live forever and ever in this place, so I'm turning back to God. Wow, I started worshiping these other gods because I thought they would take care of all my needs. But Jeremiah said, stop worshiping other gods. And so like they would return back to God. Repentance and return are the same exact thing. It's returning back to Christ. And I've heard, I've grown up in the church in the 90s, and all we talked about was revival. That's all we talked about was we want to see revival. Revival and repentance are the same exact thing. It's just a mass herd of people repenting and going, I don't care what else the world has to offer me. I want God. And revival can start with us. It doesn't have to start with other people that don't know Jesus. Like revival starts when the church repents and says, you know what? We put our trust in other things in life and we've totally walked away from the Lord. And God, we repent. We return back to you and say, Lord, we need you on the throne. We need you in our hearts. We need you to lead and guide every single aspect of our life. That's how revival happens. We're waiting for the world to change, and the world is waiting for the church to change. Where we just say, you know what? I've tried everything else out there. I'm coming back to Christ. That he would be the sole purpose of my life. That I'd have a desire and hunger for the word of God. Jeremiah's message was this message of return to God. And he would love you and he will accept you and he will bring you in. And you can be his children. He will take care of all your needs. You don't need to look to anyone else to take care of your needs. That was Jeremiah's message. And they just decided to not take it. He was a good speaker. Read through the book. He had great things to say to him. 
It was the heart. It was their hearts. I grew up knowing Jesus. My, my mom says that I, I started following God when I was five years old. And uh, it was probably those felt, you know, the felt boards with the camels. <laughs> and then Jesus rode a donkey. And, and then, Neil, remember when you said you love Jesus? I do. I love Jesus. But about 14 or 15, I started to just think, you know what? I don't know what else is out there. And so I went, like, I've discovered just about anything and everything out there, guys. <laughs> from 14 to 22, I, I went completely as far away from God as I possibly could. Just to see, is there anything else out there? At 22, I... I had a, a child, our daughter, who singing today and um, so beautiful. Yeah. And I had no idea that even though I had ran so far from God, that he still loved me enough to give me a baby, a beautiful little girl. And I had run far from him. The difference with my life and a lot of other people's life is I knew everything that God had to offer. And I said, I'm going to shelf that, and I'm going to go see what else there is to offer. And I came to the realization that, like, I can't run from God. I can't run far enough from his love. I can't run far enough from his reach. He was always grabbing me and pulling me. And so at that moment, I just decided, you know what? I've seen everything else that there is to offer. And I want to return back to your arms, God. It wasn't this religious duty that I was returning to. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do this. No, I just returned back to the Father's arms. I said, man, you love me that much. You love me that much. I just returned back to you. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for the mess I've made in my life. And I just turned back to you. And the most beautiful part of that story is, is not my heart changing, but it was the Lord's acceptance. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no condemnation involved in that. He saw me as a heart that wanted to return to him. And just like the prodigal son, he had been waiting at the doorstep, waiting for me to come home. He just took me in. He gave me purpose because I had no purpose at that time. My heart was completely broken for the mess that I had put it in, and he mended my heart. This is what the Lord does. He calls us back to himself. It's just our... Our part in this is to say, God, I'm sorry I ran away. I'm coming back. I want to come back. Loss plus return equals joy. And that's the father's heart when his kids come home. 
His heart is full of joy to see his kids again, his sons, his daughters. Thank you for coming back. You can live with me forever and ever. I'm so excited you're home. I just felt like there was really two big words for us. Comfort and control. If you haven't figured it out yet, you are not in control. (laughs) It's so hard to go, God, I give you control of my life. I just really felt like the Lord's just calling this church, look, I want to be in control. Stop fighting. Stop bickering. Stop being frustrated. Frustration actually comes when you're not in control and you get frustrated, right? And so the Lord wants to just completely remove frustration because he's in control. If you're going to be frustrated with anyone, be frustrated with God. A battle is not against flesh and blood. You're going to be frustrated with anyone, be frustrated with the enemy. To give God back control. God, you know what? I've tried taking back the reins of control, and I am not in control of my life, and so I give them back to you. I repent of trying to be in control of my life because I'm definitely not. And so I hand you back control of my life. And the other word for the church, I believe, is comfort. You know, we sign up to follow Jesus. Jesus' life was not comfortable. And we do everything to find comfort. And then we know we start even worshiping other gods because they're comfortable. The God of comfort. Lazy boy is a company. (laughs) We love comfort. And I'm not saying like God's going to make you uncomfortable or anything like that, but I'm saying like our number one purpose, our number one sole purpose is to follow Jesus even when it's uncomfortable. That's what God has called us to as his church. Like this is uncomfortable, God, but I know you're with me in it. I know you're leading me. I know you're guiding me. I know you're in control of my life. So I just really felt really strongly there's two C's. Comfort and control for us today to just say, you know what? I'm tired of fighting this and I'm returning back to God. And I can tell you this, that you will leave this place with joy if you surrender those things to the Lord. Now, if you want to hold on to those things, like, no, I want control of my life. Man, a lot of times it comes with a lot of sorrow, doesn't it? And God's just like, return back to me. Return to me. I want your life. I want to be in control of your life, even your day-to-day. And I want to be your comforter. You don't need to find comfort in anything else, in another relationship, and in other things in life. You can find comfort in the comforter, which is God. So if that's you this morning, you're just saying, you know what, I just want to turn my life back over to Christ. Whether you've done that a hundred times, I'm standing up because this is me. 
Um, whether it's been a hundred times that you've turned your life over and just said, you know what, I give you control of my life, or whether it's your first time, whether this is your hundredth time of saying, you know what, God, I need your comfort, I need your peace, and I'm tired of like trying to find it and everything else, I just invite you to stand up this morning and just say, you know what, I just want to turn back to Christ. I just want to turn back to the Lord. Let's pray. Just invite you, just go ahead and put out your hands. So I just feel like the Holy Spirit just wants to give you so much peace right now. Peace for things you don't understand. He wants to bring his comfort right now. Even if you're it's just everyone in the room. I, I don't think there's no um, there's no boundary for what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So for every single person in this room, Holy Spirit, would you just come? 